among the guests we have here this morning. It's one of my best friends, Dr. Bob Leone and his lovely wife, Kelly. Dr. Bob works uh, with me and uh, uh, knows Neil and Rosie and, and a few of y'all in here. Uh, he actually writes most of the speeches I give at trial. So for him to come here when we're doing this, uh, lets him see how much I need him at trial. Uh, um, anyway, Dr. Bob is uh, the author of most of our jokes at the office, and he reminds me a little bit of Howard this morning because taste is not always what he looks for in a joke. He looks for humor. And uh, <laughs> um, In fact, Dr. Bob is the originator of kind of a, a, a theme joke among many of y'all. Um, uh, he is the source of uh, what did the uh, uh, snail say when he rode on the back of the turtle? Wee! You know. Okay. Um, they don't laugh when he tells it either. It's the material. It wasn't the delivery. Um, we, uh, um, anyway, it's good to have them here. We have been working our way through Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament. Uh, last week I made it through half of the lesson. This week we're going to make it through the other half, so there is no additional handout. Uh, there is only some opportunity to give some additional material. Now, we do have a problem. Uh, I, I, I couldn't find my watch this morning. Um, I have no clue what time it is. I have no clue what time uh, it will be when I'm done. So if I could borrow... I got a lady's watch. If there's one thing I would like to do in my life uh, because of my job and because of uh, sort of the way I see things, I would like to be a big picture person. I would like to think that I have, um, uh, that, that I can learn to, to become the kind of person who sees the big picture. Uh, we understand, uh, here's a Dr. Bob joke, uh, uh, only one per class, but uh, this is pretty good. Did you all read about the lady in the newspaper, uh, the lady written about in the newspaper, who's getting fined like a hundred bucks a day because she's got a forest? Yeah, you read that. Dr. Bob's suggestion was that she plant a couple trees and no one could see the forest for the trees. But... <laughs> I have a desire not to be a tree starer in and of itself, but to see the big picture. Because the big picture helps put the small pieces into focus. Uh, Neil Caldwell is an artist in Texas uh, who's a retired judge. Uh, I saw Neil two weeks ago. Neil had just finished a painting. It's a beautiful painting. He said, look at it. So I go in and I walked right up to it and started looking at the legs on the horses. And he said, well, you're not supposed to get that close. You're supposed to stand back about 20 feet. And I said, well, if you painted it right, I'll be able to see up close. And he said, no, this painting is made to be looked at from, behind, from, from the big picture. Uh, impressionist art doesn't do you much good to go up and start looking at the small little pieces. It's the whole picture that gives it its meaning and its, its flavor and its fullness. Well, one, one problem is, is that a lot of us are tree starers, which in and of itself can be a very useful thing. I mean, there is a time to stare at the tree and figure out if something's wrong with the tree. So I'm not saying that that's not useful. It's very useful. It's very important. But in the process, if we take, for example, the Bible, you can read the Bible 
And you can take a story out of the Bible and you can focus on that story and you can learn a lot by focusing on the story. It's very useful. But another very useful thing is to make sure we take the Bible as a whole and look at it through the eyes of its big picture. And that's what last week and this week we're trying to do with the book of Genesis. We're especially trying to do it in light of the fact that Genesis is not just an early history book. Genesis is written with a purpose. And the purpose is what we're trying to get at as we walk through the narrative. Our focus on Genesis is that God's kingdom is coming in its Old Testament form. We know because we sit in 2003 A.D. that our faith teaches us that God's kingdom is a kingdom that is found in His church, in the people of faith. But God set it up where first His kingdom would have a physical expression in what we've been calling its Old Testament form. That's the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was a foreshadowing of God's kingdom that would be His real people, the children of Abraham by faith, as Paul says in Romans and Galatians, as opposed to the children just of Abraham by genetic descent. So if we see the Old Testament, we see that it's focusing in Genesis on the coming kingdom of God in its Old Testament form. You see, there was a promise that God gave. God said through the offspring of woman, God would bring forth a redemption, a kingdom where God and man fellowship and dwell together. This goes back to the fall. Adam and Eve fell because of sin and were separated from God. We all feel the alienation from God every day. We perceive there's got to be more to life. We perceive, I've got to be meant for more than this. We perceive, is this all there is? We perceive that we're not what we would like to be. We perceive that we have shortcomings. We perceive that we have sin. We perceive that the world around us is not what it should be. And all of that, the Bible teaches, is because of the sin that separated us from God. And God makes a promise that through the offspring of woman would come a redemption where God brings man back into fellowship and back into harmony with Him. Where ultimately there is no more longing. There is no more sin. There is no more shortcoming where we walk with God hand in hand. And that is the promise that is being unfolded through the Old Testament and the New. And it's the Old Testament promise God gives us in Genesis both the location of His Old Testament kingdom, His kingdom in its Old Testament form, and the lineage of the promise. Because He not only says it will be through the offspring of woman, but as we walk through the Scripture, He says specifically to Abraham, Abraham, leave Ur and come, let me show you where, you're, where, where I will bless the nations, where I will draw my people, where I will set up my kingdom. Follow me, Abraham, in faith. So if this is modern Iraq, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees down here. This is uh, right up here is where um, uh, Baghdad is modern-wise, and uh, down here is the, the port of Amram, um, yeah, and 
uh, anyway, they had like all their battles right in here as they're fighting their way up. This is the Euphrates. This is the Tigris fighting their way up the river. Well, Abraham, many, many moons ago, leaves Ur and comes out and starts hanging around what is now modern Israel. There's Jerusalem, Bethel, Hebron. And Abraham, while he is there, God says, this is the land that I promised to you. And God maps out the location of the kingdom of God in its Old Testament form. God also maps out the lineage in in Genesis. And so we have Adam and Eve and the promises through their offspring. And then through their offspring comes Abraham. And God says, now let me focus it. It's going to be on you, Abraham. And from Abraham comes Isaac. And, and, and that's the child that was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And God says, the promise, the offspring, the, the, the kingdom will come through you. Now, please understand, God's prophecies had two fulfillments. God's prophecy has its Old Testament form of the kingdom of God, which is the nation Israel. And that nation does come through these seeds of these men. But in addition to that, the, the, the kingdom of God, which is the church of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, which is God's spiritual kingdom, all of His people. The Catholic Church universal, if we use that meaning of the word. That kingdom is, is also going to come through these seeds. It is through the offspring that all nations will be blessed. And, Abraham, and Paul explains later on that that's going to be uh, the, the, the church. Through Isaac, the blessing comes down to Jacob. Isaac had two children, you will recall. Jacob, um, whoops, that's Isaac. Hey, sorry, that's like a bad typo. Um, I'd have Howard tell a joke, but there's no telling what it would be. Ah, here we go. Now, the lineage. Isaac marries Rebecca. Technology or what? (laughs) Isaac, yeah, don't let people at work know I really know how to do this. (laughs) This could be real bad. Um, Isaac marries Rebecca. They have two children, Esau, the firstborn, and Jacob. And here I want to pick up the story. And let's cruise through and understand the rest of the narrative of Genesis as we go along. Esau, he gets the big, eh, because Esau is not going to be the child of promise. The lineage of promise is going to come through the second born of the twins. Unusual as that is, Jacob. This promise is going to unfold with great drama. Uh, There's deceit, there's manipulation. And in the midst of it all, God's promise. And this was the promise God gave to uh, Rebekah. He said, oh, Rebecca, by the way, she's pregnant with twins. How many of you have been pregnant with twins? Okay. Uh, Lewis, anybody else? No. <laughs> oh, he was just scratching. Um, <clears throat> okay. Twins, they're fighting in the womb. Okay? I mean, and we just started, st- thought it started once they got out. Evidently not. They're fighting in the womb. And so, in the process, Rebecca says, God, this is really bad. I'm not liking the fighting going on here. And God answers her and says, the Lord says, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. 
God makes the promise, God makes the prophecy, God makes the lineage clear. From these two twins, it's going to be Jacob that receives the promise, not Esau. Esau comes out, he comes out red, and he comes out hairy. In fact, they name him Harry. Esau is Jewish for Harry. So this is like maybe if, if he had taken pottery classes from my sister Catherine, he could have been Harry Potter. Or <clears throat> he could have been uh, Esau the Potter. Uh, Esau means Harry, but Esau, there, there's another word back then named Edom that means red. And uh, he gets called Edom. His people get called the Edomites, the uh, children of the red. Um, so he comes out at first, Esau. He's hairy and he's red. He gets the name Esau and uh, also the name Edom as a nickname. Jacob comes out second. Jacob, as he comes out, is reaching for the heel or grasping the heel of uh, his older brother that just came out. Childbirthing must be a wonderful process. And uh, as he comes out, you know, they've been fighting in the womb for eight months. It's not good enough. They've got to come out fighting. Um, he's grasping the heel, so they named him Jacob. Jacob means he grasps. It develops a meaning after he's born also if he deceives. And Jacob is a deceiver. Um, uh, or he supplants. He takes the place of. And um, uh, with that, we get the story. They come out. Uh, Jacob is kind of a tent guy. The Bible describes him as someone who likes hanging around the tent. Esau likes going out and doing all the manly stuff of the hunting and the things of that nature. Esau's out hunting one day. Jacob stays behind. He's in the tents and he makes a red bean stew. Esau comes in. Esau is famished. Esau says, oh man, I'm starving. I need some of that stew. That smells great. It looks good. Can I have some? Jacob says, yeah, I'll make you a deal. Esau says, anything. What is it? Jacob says, I want your birthright. I'll swap you your birthright for, for, for some food. Esau says, hey, I'm dying anyway of starvation. And he despises his birthright, the Bible says. And so he says, deal. And, and Esau gets the stew. He eats it. Again, it's a red bean stew. So this is, again, a chance for the Bible to tell us once again, old Harry Red, is, is now he sells his birthright and he's just plain Harry. And this is uh, the Edomite expression, again, is brought out in Genesis here. Um, if in addition to getting the, the birthright, Jacob and Rebekah then decide they need to get daddy's blessing. Because you see, back then, the dad would bless one of the kids. Uh, and he could bless all of the kids, but they want the special blessing. They learn through life that Isaac and Rebekah have favorites. See, Isaac likes the firstborn. He likes the, the man's man who's out there hunting. Harry is his boy. Okay? Rebecca, she likes the boy who's staying at home. And that's her favorite, Jacob. So Rebecca is overhearing Isaac in Isaac's old age. Isaac feels like he's about to die. Turns out he's not, but he thinks he is. And he calls Esau and says, come on in, Harry. Esau comes in. He says, Harry, I'm about to die. And you are so good at catching wild game and, and cooking it, would you make me that favorite food I like so that I can die in peace? And when you bring it back, I'm going to give you my blessing, the, what, what I have to pass on to you with me dying. So Esau says, you got it, Dad. And he goes out. Rebecca overhears this. And Rebecca calls Jacob in. says, Jacob, listen, this is what your dad's just said to Harry, your brother. I want you to go get two goats real quick, and I'm going to want you to kill them. 
I'm going to make the dish. I can make it where it tastes the same. And I want you to go in there. Isaac's so blind, he can't see anyway. He's not going to know you're not Esau. You go in there and you fool your dad. And you take Esau's blessing. Well, Jacob's sitting there and he doesn't say, No, Mom, that would be a sin before Almighty God. Instead, he says, Well, what are we going to do about the fact he's so hairy and I'm not? She says, That's easy. I'll use goat skin. I'll make you some gloves for your hands and your arms. And we'll put you a turtleneck on out of goat skin. Man, he'll smell the goat, feel the goat. He'll think you're hairy. And so Jacob says, deal. So Jacob runs. He kills the, the calves he bring, or the, the goats. He brings them in. They take the goat skin. They put the gloves on him. They put the turtleneck on him. And the food is made. And Jacob goes in and says, hey, Dad, uh, uh, I, I, I did it. And Isaac may be old and he may be blind, but he's not a total fool. He says, well, that was awfully quick. He says, oh, yeah, uh, God blessed me with uh, uh, success. I mean, this is lie after lie, right? This is funny, too. This is who the promise comes through, the liar. And uh, so he says, hey, hey uh, I got, I got the, 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 the stuff done because God blessed me. And, and the dad says, okay, well, you, you kind of smell wild and savage. You know, the guy's wearing a goat. Um, you kind of smell wild and savage, but you sure do sound like Jacob. Why don't you come a little closer? So, feels the hands and says, yeah, you're hairy. That's, that's, okay, okay. Oh, the food tastes so good. Uh, come here and let me bless you. He reaches around and he touches the turtleneck there on the old neck. Says, yeah, you're hairy. And so, the blessing is pronounced by Isaac. And, uh, artists have rendered this in a couple of different ways. If you can see, uh, we might even dim these lights a little bit if that's possible um, for the artist. Uh, this is a, a, about a three or four hundred, four hundred year old painting, I guess. And whoops! And this is a, a Jacob receiving the blessing, and and they always have the mom in there. I guess she's covering in case something goes bad. Um, uh, Flank in 1639 painted a close up so we could see what really happened. You can see the gloves. And, uh, uh, you know, here's the food back there. And there's the guy with the eyes closed. They're blind, so he can have them open, closed. It didn't matter. But to show us that he was blind, Flink painted them closed. And there's the mom listening to make sure her favorite gets the blessing. Um, so the blessing comes out. May the God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. May uh, be Lord over your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. Those who bless you be blessed. Jacob gets the blessing from Esau. Esau comes in and Esau is very upset. Um, Esau says, man, first the guy rips me off uh, out of my birthright I, you know, for a bowl of stew. And now he gets the blessing. Dad, don't you have anything to bless me with? And Jacob says, man, I really gave him just about every blessing. I thought it was you and I was really unloading it. And uh, Jacob says, well, okay. And Jacob internally, I mean, Esau says, okay. And internally, Harry says, uh, you know, I'm so mad at my brother. I'm going to kill him. The Bible says he held a grudge against him. That's a good grudge. He's going to kill him. But he says, my dad's so close to dying out of respect for my dad. I'll wait till he's dead because it would really break my dad's heart to know I killed my brother. So this sibling rivalry that started in the womb is not done. Um, uh, uh, whoops, we don't want to go there yet. Um, so what happens? Well, Rebecca and, and Jacob are a little bit concerned because they've done this incredible deception. They've got this blessing. They didn't need to do that. God was going to give them the blessing. 
How many times in our lives do we take what God has promised and decide we've got to figure out how to make it work ourselves? And we'll even go to the extent of sinning to, to, to make God's will happen in our lives. There's not a lot of faithfulness in that. We need to be trusting people. He needed to be just trusting and see the way the Lord worked it out. But no, 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 instead he's going to force it. Well, now he's in trouble. So what he's going to do? Well, his mom, Rebecca, says, look, um, I know this is a problem. I know your brother's trying to kill you now. So let me make a suggestion to you. What you need to do is you need to flee and you need to go see Uncle Laban, my brother. He will take care of you until all of this kind of boils over. So um, um, Jacob flees and he goes and he finds Uncle Laban. And on the way he finds love. But not until he stops and has a dream. This dream is a fascinating dream. This is in the midst of all of this scene. He stops at a place called Bethel and he lays down, he goes to sleep and he dreams that heaven opens and angels start descending and ascending on a stairway from God. And in the dream, God says to him, oh, here's a picture of the dream. He dreamed in color. Um, uh, Murillo, this is the same guy who did the, the global painting a couple of paintings ago. Dreams, and he's got heaven open and all the angels are ascending and descending on this ladder with him there. And then God says to him in this dream, God says, uh, above the ladder is standing the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. See, I am Abraham's God. I'm Isaac's God. I'd like to be your God. You have not been living like I'm your God. You've been living like you're your own God. You're going to make your own destiny. So I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, but I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. See, the location is again confirmed here. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, which happens through Jesus. Now, here's a freebie. Um, for those of you who know all of this story, who are just paying such rapt attention anyway, I will tell you, put down John 1. Um, the odds are this is what uh, Nathaniel was meditating on when Jesus calls Nathaniel to be an apostle. See, uh, Jacob means the one with guile. If Jacob's the one with guile, in, in John chapter 1, when Jesus calls... Uh, this isn't like critical, y'all, but this is kind of fascinating. In John chapter 1, when Jesus calls Nathaniel, Philip's there. And um, uh, Philip says, come see Jesus from Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth? Philip says, come and see. Jesus sees Nathanael approaching and says, here is a true Israelite. See, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Jacob is Israel. Here is a true Israelite, a true Jacobite, in whom there is no guile or nothing false. Jesus is clearly making a reference back to Jacob, the Israelite, in whom there was something false. Nathanael's response is, how did you know? How did you know me? And that's why people think, and, and probably with good reason, that he'd been thinking about that very thing. It's like Jesus just read his mind. Because Jesus, you know, there's Nathaniel thinking about this story that we're hearing about in Genesis and the angels ascending and descending on the ladder and how Jacob was a person of guile, yet he became the nation Israel. And he comes out thinking about this story and Jesus says, oh, here's a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel says, how did you know? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw your mind. I knew what you were thinking. And Nathaniel falls on his feet and says, okay, you're the son of God, Rabbi. There's no question here. This is for real. And Jesus says, oh, you believe just because of that? You'll see greater things than that. And then Jesus adds this. I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending 
and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is going back to this story. Go back to the picture here. Jesus says to Nathanael, you will see the heavens open and you will see angels ascending and descending, but the ladder, the bridge between God and man will be the cross of Jesus Christ. You will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on Jesus, not a mere ladder. Okay? Okay. So, I think some of the reasons these stories are important and part of biblical literacy. We continue. All right, he finds love. He finds love in the form of a cow and a female sheep. Uh, Leah means cow. <laughs> and uh, uh, Rachel means female sheep. Um, U E W E. So, uh, Michelangelo knew what they looked like, and he did sculptures. Rachel is the pious one. She's the you, the female sheep. And there's the cow, Leah, um, and she's uh, uh, um, coming in from out of the fields with her work clothes on. Um, when when uh, Jacob finds them, these are daughters of Uncle Laban. And uh, um, uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, Jacob wants Rachel. He doesn't really want the cow. And so Jacob says, I mean, y'all, if we were reading this in Hebrew, that's what these words mean. Okay, the Hebrew Bible's just alive because it's got Hebrew in it. And we don't know it because we don't have it. So I'm telling you, you keep reading about Harry when you read about Esau. Here you start reading about the cow. Okay, so here's what happens. Jacob says to Uncle Laban, Man, I would really like your daughter's hand in marriage. Referencing the sheep, not the cow. And, and um, Laban says, oh, I could cut a deal for her. How about you work for me for seven years? I give her to you. And, uh, and uh, Jacob says, uh, I mean, yeah, Jacob says, okay, I will. So Jacob starts working. He works for seven years. He has a marriage uh, celebration. Remember, the women are veiled back then. Uh, Leah uh, uh, is secretly substituted in for Rachel in the wedding. And uh, it's conceivable that he'd had a little too much to drink because he doesn't even realize it in the honeymoon tent until the whole uh, event is over and he wakes up the next morning and realizes he's had the cow instead of uh, the woman that he had desired. And he is very upset and he's been deceived. And it's so interesting that the deceiver, you know, as, as my friend Kevin Parker would say, what goes around comes around. What Paul would say is, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that also he reaps. Galatians. Um, yeah, Jacob's deceived and he's indignant over it. I mean, how dare anybody deceive, deceive me? You know, like that's just some huge wrong. Now, I, I wonder if he was wearing his turtleneck when all of this happened. I don't know. But he's very upset at being deceived. He goes to his father-in-law slash uncle and says, you have ripped me off. And the uncle says, well, we felt bad. Nobody's really been dating Leah, and she's the oldest. And, you know, you see an opportunity, baby, you drive it home. And so, so Jacob says, well, this was not what I bargained for. And, of course, he, he can't, like, trade her in, okay? So he's like, got her. So uh, Reuben says, okay, look, I'll cut you a deal. Uh, Reuben, not Reuben, um, uh, Laban. Uh, Laban says, Laban, by the way, means white. Um, so the... Anyway, Laban says, I'll cut you a deal. That's a joke later on because uh, white reeds are used to uh, trick Laban. Um, 
so uh, what happens? He says, Laban says, I'll tell you what I'll do. You finish out the wedding week with Leah, the cow, and then I'll give you Rachel, the sheep. But you've got to promise to work seven more years for me. And so uh, he says, all right, well, I'll do that. And, and he proceeds to, and so he gets both wives. Well, you want some sibling rivalry. You know, he's been fussing with his brother since in the womb, and now he's just married two sisters. He got that coming to him too, didn't he? You know, this guy just is poetic justice incarnate. So he marries these two, and uh, what happens? Well, they start having babies. And I mean, they were fruitful and they multiplied. But of course, Rachel's the one he likes. He wants the babies from Rachel. Well, life deals him it's Murphy's Law, and Leah gets pregnant first, and she has Reuben. And she names him Reuben because that means, see, I got a son, I got a son. And she proceeds to flaunt that with everybody by his mere name. She can now say to her sister, go get Reuben. See, I have a son. And Rachel starts bawling, okay? So then Leah gets pregnant again. She has another boy. She gets Simeon. That means one who hears. God's hearing me. God's hearing that my husband doesn't love me. God's hearing and God's blessing me and nobody else. And y'all can know it by the name of my son. Then she gets pregnant again. She has kid number three, Levi, attached. And at this point, she's longing for her husband. And she's saying, I'll name him attached because now that I've given him three sons, maybe Jacob will start loving me and he'll be attached to me. She has a fourth son, Judah. And she praises the Lord for this son and names him Judah. It sounds kind of like praise. Well, all of this time, Rachel's not getting any kids. She's barren. And so she's extremely upset. In fact, Scripture says, she goes to her husband and says, Give me children or I will die. Well, it's not really his fault, okay? I mean, that guy's haven't able to have kids. We're seeing that through his other wife. But in Rachel's mind, it is all his fault. This is the kind of stuff Lewis will explain next week. <laughs> I'm telling you, if they had Lewis's tips for fair fighting, his whole thing gets defused, okay? No problem. But instead... Rachel says, okay, well, I got a handmaid. I'm going to give you my handmaid, Bilhah. If I can't have any kids, maybe Bilhah can. Sure enough, Bilhah gets pregnant. Bilhah has the kid. And who gets to name him? Well, the boss, Rachel. Because this is Rachel's kid. It's just had a surrogate mom and surrogate ovaries and surrogate uh, ovum. But Bilhah is named Dan because Rachel says, I have been vindicated. I have a son. And then... Bilhah gets pregnant again. It works pretty good. Names this one Naphtali because, as, as Rachel says, God has heard my struggle. I am, I'm, it's like four to two now, but I'm catching up, man. We are starting to hit our stride, and I am going to beat my sister in this game. At which point, Leah gets a little bit upset, and Leah says, well, here, use my handmaid. I, she's catching up. And so uh, Leah's handmaid, Zilpah, enters the picture, and Gad is born. And she says, good fortune to me, and she names him. And the sibling rivalry just continues. Zilpah has another one, Asher. I'm so happy. I'm now ahead six to two. Or yeah, six to two. And those two are fake. They're not really yours. And so this continues. All right? Now, six to two. That's eight kids, right? Leah then gets pregnant. She gets another one. Issachar. This is my reward. And I mean, this is just like no contest. The contest is over at this point. And uh, Leah has another one. She's piling on. 
Okay? It's like running up the score. Zebulun, honor. I've got honor. I've got reward. I've got happy good fortune. I've got all these things. You have two by handmaid. Now, you know, Jacob loved Rachel much more than Leah. And I think God's got his ways of blessing people who are despondent and in despair. And it's not to the chagrin of Rachel because Rachel all of a sudden in her, after all of the race is done and she's not going to win, she gives birth to a son herself, Joseph. Jacob really needed Lewis's parenting classes (laughs) because I need to tell you that what Jacob does at this point is he treats Joseph as his favorite because Joseph is from Rachel and Joseph is the child of his older age at this point. And um, he gives Jacob a coat that's real fancy, the coat of many colors that no one else has. And, um, and in the process, gets named Israel. Um, um, let, let me, I'm digressing here for a minute. Uh, Jacob has problems now with his uncle and he's got to leave. So he leaves and in the process of leaving, he realizes he's going back to Esau who just wanted to kill him anyway. Now he's got two to four wives depending upon how you see it. He's got 11 of what we know will ultimately become 12 kids and and he's got to go back. On his way back, he starts struggling and he, and he stops and and. He's getting close to Esau and he sends, he starts sending out presents to his brother to try and buy him off or appease him. And, and he's real concerned because during all of this time, Jacob has grown extremely prosperous. He's got tons of wives, tons of kids, and tons of cattle or sheep, goats, that kind of stuff. And um, um, at night at the fords of the Jabbok before he crosses the river, uh, he wrestles all night long with what we learn later is an angel. And in the process of this, the angel says, or, or the Lord says, the angel could be the Lord. The Lord says, uh, you know, you've wrestled with me all night long. Let me go. And Jacob says, not until I get your blessing. And here is where Jacob starts turning his life around in some ways. God gives the blessing and he says to him in the blessing, your name will no longer be Jacob, the deceiver, but Israel because you've struggled with God and with men and you've overcome. I want to tell you, regardless of what you've done in your life, you come to the Lord and you let the Lord touch you. In this wrestling match, the Lord touches him on the hip and dislodges his hip. Rembrandt, in his painting of it, has the angel's hand here on the hip. And while the angel is supplanting the hip or or knocking it out of joint, I should say, while uh, uh, Jacob's been struggling and wrestling all night long, you see nothing but peace and love on the face of the angel because it wasn't God's desire to hurt him. It was God's desire to bring him to a recognition that he needs the Lord and that the Lord is all he needs. He doesn't need deception and he doesn't need to make his own way. And so with that, uh, Jacob wrestles. And I might add, Rachel gets pregnant one more time. Rachel gets pregnant and in the process, this is bad labor. Um, she names the, the child Ben-Oni. Ben means son. Oni means uh, um, my trouble, my struggles. This is like naming your kid uh, fruit of my horrible labor. Okay? Um, this would be women, you know, you've been in labor for 36 hours and the kid comes out and you just name him pain. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what she did. In the process, Rachel dies giving birth to this child. 
So this child becomes very, very important to Jacob. Jacob changes his name to Ben, still son, but instead of Oni, my trouble, Ben, Yamin, Yamin, my right hand, son of my right hand. Um, these children grow up, and uh, 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 Jacob and, and Esau get along well. Esau's grown up, handles it very maturely. Um, uh, Jacob and all of his people get reunited with Isaac right before Isaac dies. And so he gets to see his dad one more time. And it looks like God brings the blessing in full fruit. Um, uh, this is taking me a lot longer uh, to get through than I would like. And we're about out of time. But I'm going to pause for just another moment. And I want to tell you, we're going to talk about Joseph. And we're going to get into Exodus in two weeks. Uh, and we can start Joseph in, in, in Genesis and just take him through Exodus uh, some. But uh, if, if I have anything to leave you with, it's this. I started telling you how important it is to see the big picture. The big picture, not just of how Scripture is written, but the big picture of how God works in your life. Because all of us have times in our lives where we're sinful and we're deceptive and we're not doing right and we're trying to force a round peg into a square hole. We're trying to make our lives what we want them to be without regard to what God is doing. And in the midst of all of that, God comes down to us and we can wrestle with Him all night long, but we never beat God. And at the point where we give up to God and allow God to touch our lives and bless us is the point where our lives start fitting much easier. You've seen the toy with the round block in the square hole and the kids try to jam it in there. God puts the peg in the hole in the right place. And He can take our lives and He can give us what we need in our life. And He gives us the blessings and He takes good care of us. And in the process of the whole thing, God still establishes His kingdom. God's kingdom will not fail to be established because of your sin or mine. Our choices can affect our lives. But God's kingdom is His plan. We can be a part of it or not. It's our choice. But you want to affect the kingdom of God, you only affect it as to one person, and that's you. So you make your own decisions on that. But God's kingdom is what it is because it's His plan. And we'll see in the grand scheme of the Bible this affirmed over and over again. Would you pray with me? Lord, you've given us such richness um, in, the, in the Bible. And Father, these stories are, are so uh, strong and powerful and they read so vivid and there are parts of them we relate to so well. Uh, I pray that in the process of us reading and, and learning that, that it'll be very real to us, Lord, that this is history. This is you working in this world. This is what you have done to real people in real circumstances in real events. And I pray, Lord, that we will see it no less real when you work in our lives. And that we will give you credit and glory for all of the good things that we have. Truly, Lord, all of our good gifts come from you. And we thank you for everything that you've given us. Forgive us for when we try to manipulate and deceive and, and use uh, deception and lies to, to try and work our own end. Uh, may we follow you and your wisdom and your will in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.